Hey, good morning. Happy Tuesday. It's Bruce. It's Judy. It's Cheese. I don't know. My guess is if you're up at 535 in the morning, you're not out of work. That's There's true. no other reason to be up. That's true. Right? Unless yeah. you're just coming in. By the way, shout out what to you, you guys. What do you mean people get up to listen to us? So, good for you. Glad <laughs> that you guys have uh, uh, gainfully employed, as I would refer yeah, to right. it as. But um, I think we're going we're gonna to run into a... What do you want to call it? A tipping point? Um, here in the next few months, as whatever normalcy becomes, and I, I, you know, that like has a huge asterisk next to it, will everybody be returning to work? We've heard some of these stories, some of these polls. It, it, was, it was driven home to me, and I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus yet. I keep asking, and you won't. You do. I won't, you won't give it up. I, uh, since I've begun work here, six months ago, I've only met like four of you. All right, so it shouldn't be too hard to figure out. So I don't, nobody's here in the building. Yeah. I haven't met most of the people that work at this radio station. Where where would I meet them? There's a whole floor upon 17. There's a whole that's like floor of people. I've 30 met. people. No idea. 40 people. I've met, met several people. I just don't know who they are because I haven't really seen their faces. They're masked up. That does suck, yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I'm talking to one of these people, me- meeting him for the first time. Uh, and we were talking about, well, you know, and I, I made that point. Yeah, it's nice to meet you. For goodness sakes, I, you know, there's so many folks that I technically work with. I'm coworkers. I, I, I don't know their names. I don't know their faces. I don't know their offices. Hell, I don't even know what they do. Yeah. Right? Just seen an email or two from them every you, you see, exactly. Yeah. And this coworker said, because I said, well, are you excited? You know, they announced here that we're going to be able to come back to work, you know. And they said, yeah, I'm not coming back. Excuse me? Yeah, I'm not I'm not coming back to the office. Oh, are you, you know, medical condition, you know, kind of have this kind of conversation? I understand, you know, concern. No, I'm just, I'm not going to commute like that anymore. Wow. And I was like. So is that an option? Like, I'm curious. Sure, as it's to, always an option. You can just quit. Right. I mean, if if your boss tells you, no, we've got a 9 a.m. meeting in the whatever conference room, and you say, yeah, I'm just not going to, you know, that whole drive train thing? No. Then they're going to say, okay, we'll just find somebody to do your job, I'm assuming. Or are people going to be making that decision? Is this now factored into it? Because here's here's the calculation, as I understand it, for a lot of folks. What would you think an average commute from the suburbs would be during rush hour? Hour? Oh, yeah. Oh, at least. Hour yeah. and a half? Okay, yeah. let's go with an hour and a half. Both directions? Three hours. I was doing the math. Thank you for being <laughs> doing that for me. <laughs> yeah, I'd say two to three hours for sure. Okay, so let's go with three. Let's go on the high side. Okay. Three, Monday, Tuesday. Almost 15 hours a week that you spend... Stuck in a car, commuting, on a train, bus, whatever it might be. And over the last year or so, people have filled that 15 hours with other stuff. And I don't think they're willing to give it back up. Like, I, I think they're literally weighing the benefits of it going, hmm, I can always do something else. If it doesn't involve me commuting for 15 hours mm-hmm. a week. Yeah, but start we, adding that up. Hold on, how much? I can't do the math any farther. The fifteen was as far as I can go. Yeah. but you start adding that up. 
per month, per Fishy. year. And I think people are looking at this as a quality of life issue. And if there are opportunities out there, if there are jobs available, like we hear in many ways, shape, and form, are we going to see a lot of turnover? I think so, absolutely. And there are the people who just, being at home, not you know, regardless of that, that horrendous commute, they just, they didn't realize how much they like being at home. Yeah, being, well, they didn't yeah. realize they could do their job at home. Right, they could do their job at home. and Well, because I think there will be a certain number of people who just will quit. They just won't go back to work. Yeah. Either quit or not go back. If it, if it goes back to some sort of re- nine the, to five, right. get to the well, nose no, of the if it goes back to the, you know, 60 hours a week, they're like, yeah. you know what? This is, I don't need this anymore. Well, you know, you think about your time and my time and the work time. It is fair to say that the last year has completely blurred that that line, right? I mean, when are you working? When are you not working? When are you at the office? When are you not at the office? And I think a lot of folks, and I, I know them, have trouble shutting that off. The laptop is always open on the kitchen table. On, you, on you the other I mean? hand, they're able to leave the laptop several times a day and go do something else. Go and, pay, go pay yeah. PlayStation. And that's what I think. Exactly. <laughs> that's what I think people like. They'll, they'll do that extra. They'll do that extra work that they may, they had a nine to five job. They may not have if they can go play Xbox for an hour here or go there. walk the dog yeah, go or shopping, go shopping, go do anything. And then they'll just get back to their stuff at seven o'clock at night or whatnot. Exactly. It's, it's on their terms. But doesn't that change almost the definition of work? Well, it certainly changes the dynamic, but yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's it depends. I mean, there are people, there are companies who say, "I don't care as long as it's done by this time." Yeah, you have a project, better be done in two weeks. Get it done, yeah. or yeah, how you I, do I it judged, when you do it. Yeah, and I judge just by when I talk to my son or try to talk okay. to him. Try he, to talk to yeah, he would. He had a nine Which to five one job. Is this? The favorite Luke. one, Luke. <laughs> the favorite one this week. <laughs> he has a he had a nine to five job, a nine mm-hmm. to five job downtown in the financial world. And now he works at home. He's one of those people too. He doesn't ever want to go back. Yeah, but he's not afraid of COVID. He's not afraid to be. He just no, doesn't want. He to. doesn't want to. He loves this lot. And it was funny because he commuted for the first year. He just got the job out sure. of college. Commuted. Didn't have a choice. So that was what he was used to. He did. What does he know? Well, now he knows what it means to be home. I'm not out. going back in the hole. Uh uh-uh, But <laughs> some. Doing it again. Yeah. Some days I'll text him, talk to him. He responds. Other days, like yesterday. I said, can you talk? And he said, no, I'm extremely busy. Hmm. So the, that's the trade-off, too. Here's, some days busy, some days eh, not so busy. Here's what I find, uh, I would say, interesting about it. Pre-all hell breaking loose. Yeah. There were all kinds of articles written. There were these, you know, coaches out there, uh, life coaches or whatever. You're trying to find your work-life balance. How to how to go home and shut the work off? T- take the weekend for yourself, you know. Uh, don't answer emails after after five o'clock on Friday. Don't even check. Right? We had all mm-hmm. this stuff about how you needed to kind of separate work and your private life, and don't be nose to the grindstone all the time. Now, it's all the same thing. There's no difference. I'm walking along, I'm on a Zoom call while I'm walking the dog, and I've got the other little uh, window open, and I'm shopping on Amazon at the same time. There's no, when does work start? When does it end? When is it my time? When is it your time? But I really do, you're going to, I think we're going to But I think it's on the side of the worker. 
the, right the now? worker the worker is now in control compared, because of what you just said. I, 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 I'm happy to work. I'm happy to be on that Zoom call as I walk my dog and shop on Amazon at the same. I mean, they can do it. Why not? Rather than sitting in a boardroom for two hours being bored to death. That's why they call it a boardroom, you know. I didn't know um, that. Yeah. Is that like the living room? It's ah, like the living room. Right. There you go. Um, yeah, I just feel like we're this is we're gonna this is this is happening. We're gonna see a lot more of this, and companies either have to pivot. My least favorite word of the pandemic, or you're right. They can say okay, goodbye. But as we know, companies well, are it, dying for workers. There are not enough workers accepting jobs. Let's let's talk crap about Mar for a second. Our our big boss. <laughs> So, oh, where to start? Think about this. So you're sitting up in Marv's office. Yeah. And you say, okay, we're reopening our business, our office on, we have a date, don't we? July 1st. July 1st. Yeah. Or the the, the, the day after, right, the 5th, the 6th, whatever it is. All right. So people come back and you have some people say, well, I'm not, I'm like the person I talked to. Yeah. Don't expect to see me on the 6th. And they say, okay, well, we can make an accommodation for you. Well, then you're going to have to start making accommodations for a bunch yep. of other people. And then you're going to have people sitting in here going, well, why the hell am I the one right. commuting I'm, I'm already everything? saying that. Why am I doing it? I'm already like, since you know? I've worked here, I'm like, why? Well, I have to come to the office. How come no one else is coming to the office? And then, and then you get right back to the point where nobody shows up again. Right. right? I would have killed yeah. for flex time in my career. Yeah. yeah. When I was having my kids and they were little. Oh, sure. my God. Flex time. And we, I mean, that was a big issue all the time, especially among the women I worked with. We were always pushing for that. No, never, never, never. That's when I say now, I think companies are going to have to rethink that a little bit. Is it a double whammy for, for those of you that have children, younger children, mm-hmm. who you've been taking care of because yep. there was no school, okay? The double whammy being we're kind of coming up on what would traditionally be summer vacation when the kids weren't going to be in school anyway. So you're going to keep doing that. And you're like, you know, really the earliest I could come back is September right? <laughs> when the maggots yeah. go back to school. We're not even going to do daycare. I'm not yeah. even considering anything between now well, and September. And all of a sudden you have a dramatically altered workplace. Right. Because think daycare, as Nick probably knows, is extremely expensive. Yeah, so th- people can stay home and work and watch the kids. Keep an eye on that. It's ridiculous. Marv just texted me. Everybody back to work. So, <laughs> yeah, well, he's out walking the dog, listening Marv, on his phone. You know what? This is my flex time. Um, I'm going to go have a and coffee again, break. I'm just going to tell Marv. I, I spoke to someone who works here who told me, yeah, I'm, I'm not coming back in the office. See, well, I, full Nick, stop, period. Well, Nick, how do you feel about coming back in? It's like the vacation's over. <laughs> how long? That how is long true. Is, I guess. Nick, how long is your uh, commute normally? Okay. Yeah. It's easier. Yeah, coming home depends on what oh. time. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's if there's not an accident. You right. know what I mean? Any you little get, thing. You get one yeah. manure spreader jackknife. That's and a all big deal. To this, <laughs> yeah, it's right? a big deal to think about. <laughs> well, we're going to see what the workplace looks like. Uh, I, I think we're in for a lot of, gee, I never thought of that, or gee, how are we going to deal with this? I might never meet the empl- other employees Maybe here. there's a chance. <laughs> I might never see there's anyone. There's a chance you might work at a place that never, other than on a Zoom call or email, you may never meet any of these folks. We might have entertained the idea that 
in some way, shape, or form, this was real. But we kind of rolled our eyes at it. People who claim to have been abducted and probed, you know, they're crackpots, right? You're like, come off of it, right? So what does it say that we've gotten to the point now where the government, and you got to believe, I mean, why else would they be doing this? The government is having to admit that they have certainly video evidence that there are things in and around us that we can't explain. It's getting real. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, my, you know, uh, there's been all these other things. Like, you know, when new information comes, you know, you change your mind. So on the zero to 10 scale of UFOs are real, I probably started at the two. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. a two on the scale. Think of it like a gas gauge, right? And it's slowly been creeping up. And I got to tell you, I might be at a six now. I might have passed halfway and said, I think there's something there. Like at some point, you can't deny all of the evidence. You, you, when you can't explain it away anymore. Well, the government agrees with you. Yeah. That's the shocking part. But, you know, what? maybe it's some kind of a missile defense system thing, right? Why do, I mean, an unidentified flying object, that doesn't necessarily mean it's weird or spooky or okay. unexplainable. So, I have to paraphrase it's it because I don't have it in front of me. Marco Rubio. Senator Rubio. <laughs> yeah. well, he's one of those people I can see saying he saw a spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> he talked about this release of government documents coming out. And I'm assu- I think there's a, he's on a committee. They've been... Mm-hmm. Bring- Congress has been briefed on by the Department of Defense the existence of UFOs not coming from crackpots standing in a field somewhere saying I was abducted and 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 I was probed by the little green men but by naval pilots air force pilots captains of warships not people who would ever admit this? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's nothing in it for them to come out and say this is real, right? I mean, when it's when it's the military, then I think you stand and take some notice, right? When the it's the Senate farmer in, in Georgia, we don't care, but the military, mm. the Senate Intelligence Committee has hearings coming up. With the Director of National Intelligence and the Secretary of Defense, who will be presenting them a report on all of the UFOs, mysterious sightings, and unexplained phenomena that have happened in and around military bases, ships, and aircraft. We're past little green men. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, And when you see... And this came through, I want to say it was FOIA, one of those Freedom of Information Acts. The videos. There are, 60 Minutes is doing a piece on it this weekend. You want to watch it. It's pretty compelling. And and you wonder why the military, why the ships and the the aircraft, and maybe because they're out there more, so they tend to see more, right? Or are are they being targeted? Would a intelligent being from another planet say... This is a threat. Right. Let's 
Let's let's figure out what this threat it would be. Let's put the laser beam on it and and gather all their information. Right? Isn't that how it works? It is. As Rubio says, it it maybe it's very simple, but maybe it's not. You know, maybe they, it's we, not. Yeah, maybe it's not. I I watched the one of the two Navy pilots. So there's two Navy pilots that are flying F-18s. Okay? Mm-hmm. They're all in the Atlantic Ocean. And you have not only the video, which is mounted on the aircraft itself, but you have the accompanying audio. You have the two pilots speaking to one another and speaking back to the ship, describing what they're seeing. They don't sound like crackpots to me. No. They sound like Navy pilots trying to figure out, is this thing in front of us a threat? Is, is this a foreign aircraft? Is You know what I'm saying? Is it civilian? Is it a danger to our boat? You hear them going through these calculations and then describing the movement of this object that is in their line of sight. Saying, there's nothing man-made that can do this. There's nothing man-made that we know of. And an F-18 pilot says there's nothing man-made. Yeah, they should I'm going to take their word over me going, well, I don't know what the military has. F-18 pilots, no. Yeah. Well, and even scarier, right, that they're like, uh, yeah, are you seeing this? No, we have nothing on radar. It doesn't show up Ooh, on radar. That's, but that's it's literally right in, in their of line them. of sight. Yeah. It, it, they, they were within... I want to say this is a couple hundred yards of it. Yeah. And they tried to catch up to it. It could change. The one says it could. I remember the one point. It changed direction quicker than anything that they, that man made. They say flying along and it just made a 90 degree left turn without slowing down. And they're like, what the hell did it just go? You know? And when you hear military men, when you hear pilots, professionals. Yeah. That's why you're going to have the. The Pentagon testifying in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee about the existence of UFOs. This might start to get very real. But then again, it's 2021. Exactly. What wouldn't yeah, you believe? Exactly. At this yeah, point, why not? Why not? Wouldn't you believe is real or is not real? This is going to be the year. This is going to be the year we discover yeah. life on Mars. Little green men. That doesn't mean there isn't time for our criminal of the day, though, all right? I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, the unnamed St. Louis men who decided to have a duel in their front yards, <laughs> with only one of them remembering to bring a gun, allegedly. Two men became embroiled in a confrontation when one of them left the area and returned with a rake. <laughs> According to police, he poked the other man with the garden tool, at which point the pokey pulled out a gun and shot the rake assailant. Assailant. He is currently in the hospital in stable condition. The shooter was also treated for puncture wounds and scrape marks, <laughs> but completely free of leaves in his defense. All right. The investigation into the altercation continues with both men facing a variety of charges. So for bringing a rake to a gunfight, nice. or in the other case, for bringing a gun to a rake fight, you guys are both the Bruce St. James Show criminals of the day. All suspects described above should be considered innocent until and found guilty in a court of law, no matter how absolute bat poop crazy they might be. <laughs> so the CDC issuing new rules for masks, the city of Chicago saying one thing, Governor Pritzker saying something completely else, and then private businesses jumping into this. Where are we? And who's going to police this? 
at the end of the day, it comes down to who's the vax police? Jumping right into the 6 o'clock hour. Taking a look at the big three stories that folks are talking about. Hey, cheese, you kick us off. All right, then. If you go to a Cubs game, you might hear a new voice over the PA, and that new voice is 21-year-old Cubs Cooper fan Jeremiah Paprocki. 21. He's not only 21, but he is also the first African-American announcer in Cubs history. Wow. And he's 21. 21. Yeah. Judy Pilek? That was my dream job. Yeah, it is. The numbers are looking good in Illinois. About 950 cases of COVID. Unfortunately, there were six deaths on Monday, but... Those levels are the lowest in weeks. And where are we with mask mandates? The CDC says no mask. Illinois says no mask. Chicago says, hold on a second. (laughs) We're not done with masks yet. Just more and more of the confusion. And really, that's that ties into this. Um, Yesterday, we had the the story. I want to say Target was the latest store. That kind of added themselves into this with Costco, Trader Joe's, Walmart, where they're Starbucks. Starbucks thank you very yeah. much. Um, uh, n- no mask. If but they say it with this caveat: if you're vaccinated. Okay. So here's the question: Who's the vaccination police? Who's determining who's vaccinated? It's on the honor system, which we know doesn't work. <laughs> but. I think if I so if I'm sitting because I'm trying to put this through. I was I was a boss for a while. I ran, I ran you know I've run decent sized businesses. If I'm running Target or Starbucks, and I'm like, okay, CDC says it's gonna get rid of its mask rules. Okay, so we're gonna have hmm, let's let's just say fifty percent of our customers are gonna say. CDC says I don't have to wear a mask anymore because I'm vaccinated, right? Are we going to stand at the front door and ask everybody? The answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> as, mm-hmm. as, as the head of Target, I would tell you this right now. My answer is no because I'm in the business of selling people plates, you know, iced stuff. tea, yeah. and tank tops. I don't want them to stop them coming to my store. I don't want to be the cop in this. And since there's no way to determine who's vaccinated or not vaccinated without me being the cop, all bets are off. <laughs> Come on in. We're wide open. I mean, what other position would these businesses Well, the be other in? position is still wear your mask. Masks still required. I mean, either Even or, though the right? the CDC says no masks. Uh, yeah. I mean, what the CDC did was put it on the individual companies to make the decision. Right. Really. But once you did that, what choice do they have short of... Them being the cop. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. We're going to hire a what? A whole staff of people to stand at the front door and check vaccination cards? No. Come on in. I'm yeah. just going to get a V tattooed on my You do that. Forehead. forehead. There you forehead. go. Yeah. That would be a good one. Great. <laughs> you and Mike Tyson can have, yeah. uh, you know, face tattoos. Cause, yeah, because I, I, I'm picturing that. You show your vaccination card. They give you that little thing on your palm where you can't really see it unless you flash, put the flashlight on when you go to a nightclub. No? Okay. Hmm. Yeah. They usually mark you when you go in the door and you pay your, you know. Yeah, but why, and, why are they going to yeah. mark me once I get in the I door? Don't know. I'm like, who, what do I got to show that to again? I don't know. Hold it up, you know. Got your vaccination? I. It's just ridiculous. It's, well, it's the federal government again making a decision without thinking it through. Well, you say I feel like the CDC was so, they were getting so criticized, they just had to say something. 
I think they spoke too soon. Well, I still think there's something to be said for the fact they saw people, you know, filling up Burger King cups with gasoline and said, hey, you know what, <laughs> let's, just, let's just be honest. These people aren't going to make it. Some of them are just not long for the world. Let's, let's stop trying to get them to wear masks. They've got other issues out there when they got a garbage bag full of gasoline in the back of their car and they're smoking. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe I, the virus isn't going to be the thing that gets you. And I think they thought that everyone would be happy with that decision. And it's just not the case, right? Well, because they're being criticized. Governor Pritzker has come out and if I understand correctly, Governor Pritzker is basically saying, okay, we'll, we'll follow the CDC. But of course, Mayor Lightfoot and Governor Pritzker, not on the same page. They haven't, haven't been for a lot of that. I, I shouldn't say that. There have been some things they agree on during the pandemic, right? There have been some public safety things they can agree on. But there are a lot of things where they have disagreed on with, I would, I think it'd be fair to say with Chicago being the uh, erring on the side of safety, erring on the side of caution much more than the state. Right. I wouldn't uh, say it was a disagreement. They just, the city's like, okay, state, you can do what you want, but we have a big city here. Right. And we're going to continue to be locked down longer. We're Mm going to have less of it. So, so you, you now have this disagreement again, but it just puts us all in such an awkward position of not knowing because the last thing i want to do and i didn't do this yesterday this is my bad okay you were going to test it out i was going to test it out but i i went to the whole foods we have a whole foods next to our building here they have really good microwave popcorn at whole foods Mm. i don't know what they do to their microwave popcorn i sprinkle it with crack but they uh so here's what this is my ad for Whole Foods microwave popcorn. Okay. The whole bag pops up to where it, like it's bursting. The other ones I, I do, there's always all these extra kernels mm-hmm. in the bottom. That's crap. <laughs> I want the bag to almost blow open with popcorn. That works with the Whole Foods one. Just wow, throw it out. There you go. There you go. That's Whole Foods, my microwave popcorn. There you go. So I get my microwave popcorn. You got to wear a mask in Whole Foods. Everybody's wearing a mask. People wearing a mask. Counter checkers, other employees. Great. But Target, apparently, you don't need to wear a mask. I walk past the Target here. On the main streets of Streeterville, come for the pier. Stay for the tussle. I didn't see a sign on the front that said mask, but then again, I don't remember if there was a specific one before. But I meant to test it out and go, well, can I go in the Target without a sign? And if they go, well, you're vaccinated. Of course. I don't even think there's anybody there that would ask. Yeah. And again, what's the what's the level of proof? And why is Target, Starbucks, Trader Joe's, whatever, being put in the position of checking your Vax ID at the door. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like when you walk into Costco, yeah, you got to show can't. your card. Now what, you got to show your vaccination card No, too? they can't. So yeah. they'll either let you wear the mask. I mean, they'll let everybody go, in. Yeah, either you, well, they have two decisions, right? They'll say you have to continue wearing your mask in this business or, yeah, go ahead, maskless. I th- but I and think- here's what we've learned since this pandemic began. Ready. We can't rely on the government, right? It's, no, you know, should you have? We, it's still, we're still making our own personal decisions like we've been doing the whole time. I'm just excited that all of you are coming over to the libertarian side of the fence where you realize you can't rely on government for anything. I'm just, I'm just excited for well, it's that. Well, it's not if that we didn't, want, we didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. It's not that we don't want to. We just can't. I mean. We're here from the government. I'm from the government and we're here to help. It's absolutely the most mm-hmm. terrifying. Yeah. I'm here to help. help. Yeah. <laughs> I love Horrific. That.
Absolutely horrific. Yeah. yeah. But but do they have a choice? Because because you say, well, they can choose to be masked or not masked. Yeah. When the CDC is. says you don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated. You immediately put it on. And again, I'm not trying to pick on Target because I like Target. Yeah. But the CDC. But you put st- Target in the position of having to argue with vaccinated people who don't wear their mask where they're like, well, why are you? No. You see what I'm saying? They're yeah. like, you've put them in the position of having to argue it out with people at the front door. The CDC also says you should get vaccinated. And as we know, a lot of people aren't getting vaccinated. It's just because the CDC says it. I mean, it's it's been like that from day one. Take it or leave it. They're not mandating it, right? They're going, yeah, we think now you can probably be there without your mask. Well, well, Still the business. Choose, I think people will start picking and choosing where they shop based on mask policy. I think so. I think you're right. I'm going go to and, think I'm right. go to no mask places. Yeah. You know, so what you're going to walk out when you walk in and see the big sign that says you have to wear a mask? You're just going to. So let me give you this is the is the real world example of how antisocial I can be. Um, (laughs) When I go to a gas station. And I put my credit card in the pump. And it says, see, attendant. I take my card out and I drive to the next gas station. (laughs) I do hate that. That is my pet peeve. Yeah. I'm not walking into a gas station. Right. <laughs> I will go somewhere. What? No, I love it because I hate that too. So you know what? That is pretty much on par with a mask, right? You're right. If So if yeah. I would do that, why would I not give an options and go, you got to wear a mask here, don't have a mask here. I'll go over yeah, here. Let the, you know what? I'll walk across let the, the store. consumer let the, decide. Yeah. That's how it should be anyway. And then the businesses, will, they'll change or consumers will change. And no offense to all you gas attendants who are probably very, very <laughs> delightful, wonderful people, but I am not walking in Bruce, that they damn need place. you to walk in so you can <laughs> buy things in. you don't need. See attended. <laughs> Think oh, again. Exactly. All right. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> they sell gas other places, but yeah. I'm going to tell you. Um, when we went to school, did you guys have a dress code at your school? You didn't have a uniform, did you? Yes. You had a uniform. Of course Ooh. I had a uniform. Okay, I didn't have I a uniform. I even had a beanie. Oh, my. That's right. Hey, good morning. Happy Tuesday. Going to be okay for a little bit, but it's going to get decidedly moist, I think, this afternoon. Hmm. Get ready. But it'd be warm. A little shower here and there. Right? Yeah. Again, my, my uh, 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 what little I know, as I learn more every single day about this amazing city of Chicago, the one thing that I can tell everybody is, there's always a chance of rain. Today, there yes. is always yeah. a chance of rain. It's never zero. I don't care what the sky <laughs> looks like. It doesn't make a lick of difference. I've been here on sunny days as far as the eye could see, and it was raining 10 you minutes You know what's later. funny? We're in a drought. Really? Oh, yeah. We're in a drought. More rain than I've ever had. Yeah, it's, yeah we need the rain. It's, well, it's coming. It's You're going to get it for a couple of days. Do you remember your time in, in school, Ele- elementary or high school? I can remember the, the I say fights, the disagreements with mom over what you were going to wear to school. You go to school to learn, not for a fashion show. Ah, nice. Right? Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Uh, you know, I wanted to wear, if, if I remember correctly, I wanted to wear racing t-shirts. You know, because I, I, uh, I would get these t-shirts like race cars on them. I, like, I wasn't dressed if I wasn't wearing a race car t-shirt. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, like, it's not bad. It's not kind of I didn't think shirt. it was bad. Thank no. you very much. Uh, Mom disagrees. I wear a collar. We, oh, oh, they didn't ooh, have a collar. You know, my yeah, collar, yeah. and I'd have to go, what, are we going to a wedding? Yeah, right. You know, that would be you know, always my thing. Um, I can remember, I, I can't remember in my school, and this is, I, I mean, 
elementary for me was in Virginia. High school was in junior high and high school was in Tucson, Arizona. Mm-hmm. We had some guys with long hair. I can remember that, you know. The hippies. Well, I get, but yeah. like, you know, almost <laughs> the like mullets, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Or, 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 ooh, who remembers Feathered? Come oh, on. Come on. Yeah. Half the class looked like Fabio, yeah. for God's sakes, right? Yeah. But now we have issues, and these have come up before. There was, a, there was an issue in a, a sporting event recently where uh, a girl had to cut her, she had the beads a black girl with the beads in her in her hair, yeah, and they made her cut her at, cut them off during at the like game halftime or something. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so hairstyles have become a, a, a an issue, and we have an example right here in our backyard. Yeah, in um, a school, Providence St. Mel's in Garfield Park. This involves a, I say a toddler. He's a preschooler. He wanted to uh, have braids in his hair. Okay. He put braids in and he couldn't wait to get him. We'd show his classmates and teachers, went to Providence St. Mel's, and they said, yeah, no, this isn't going to work. You, you can't have braids in your hair right. to a preschooler. Apparently, boys can't have braids. In boys can't have uh, braids in their hair. More specifically, um, African-American boys, because let's this issue really. I was going to say, I would never, this is, yeah, I don't think I it, can have braids. Every time this issue you comes up. You could, I can? You could pull No, it. no, you can't. No. No. X-Nay? No, I could maybe have braids. So okay, they wouldn't Derek. look good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, this is uh, it, it. It involves really blacks and their so, hair. So here's styles. what I see, and and let's bring infant producer Miranda into this, who's half black. I, mm-hmm. I feel the need to point that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. If, by the way, it's the half I like of you. In. Let's just throw that out there. And here's what um, I would describe, <laughs> describe as: yeah, you know, you have your hair leans more toward. It's a it's a nice style. mixture. It's yeah. a good mixture. That that hair, there is a a a cultural significance to a lot of hairstyles. I understand this for, to the point that you hear people getting called out for cultural appropriation for doing certain hairstyles. Granted, I think that's a little ridiculous, but the point yeah. being is how th- this has cultural significance. Does it not help me understand the hairstyles in the black community? Well, like the locks. Depending on how long your locks are, just significant. It just basically tells how old you are and how much you've been through, basically. Really? And really? For a four year old boy to get braids, like, that's crazy. Normally you wait until five or six because, like, you don't have hair at all. He doesn't so, have very much hair. I'll no, give you this, the four year old. The crazy part, of, he's four years old, so I don't get the harm that it's causing to his classmates. Right. Right. But you know, the, so the, the policy in and of itself is bizarre because apparently girls can do braids at that age. It doesn't make any sense. Boys can't. I don't know. They might have a. They just might have a ban against braids. And now but this why is do they have a, a ban on hairstyles. Yeah. How does that impact the learning exactly, environment? It's racist. That's my question. It's racist. If a kid came off of a Caribbean cruise with the braids on in the beads, would they have to cut their hair off in school? No. Oh, white kid. No. I didn't want to. Say oh yeah. That. Went to went to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. But now, and you've told us before, Miranda, that you you had an issue when you were in school, right? With yeah. the height of your hair. What? Yeah. There's a height requirement? Well, was it not tall to enough? this one. It was a little too tall. So uh-huh. um, she sat me in. It was her Who's fault. Who's she? Uh, my teacher. Got it. She sat me in front of the class, and uh, she like started looking around, and then she pointed at my bun. She was like, can you take your hair down? It's a little too, it's a little too tall. No one can like see behind you. Like she couldn't see the people behind 
Exactly. <laughs> like in the movie theater. Like, yeah. I can't see the movie. Miranda's sitting in front of me, for God's sake. She's got three feet of hair. Exactly. And my She looks mom. like Kid and Play. I don't know which one, but she's the one with the tall right, hair. The tall hair yeah. <laughs> my mom wasn't playing any games. She came into school, had a Ooh. nice talk. Yeah, no. Because it doesn't make any sense. Why are you calling me out for my hair when the girl right. two seats away from me has the same hairstyle? Hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I, would, I would tell you that I'm uncomfortable with the idea of, of your hair being a point of concern for the school. Yeah. Like, you how does hair get in the way now, I will of tell you, you learning? I, if you can show me how it gets in the way of the learning well, environment. Well, apparently great. Miranda's hair got in the way well, of the girl behind her. Everybody in class was like, what? They, yeah, I'll bet. Shrugging? It's ridiculous. I'm going to need to see pictures of that, by the way. <laughs> okay? Well, You're her hair's kind us. of high right now. Yeah, You've got I mean, a, a bunnish. Yeah, this is literally my hairstyle. I feel like it's white people not understanding black hairstyles and then just like, oh, you can't wear that. Right. And what do you Mm -hmm. want? People with black hair to be like people with white hair? No, it's they have different hair. Billy D. Williams. Yeah, and they should do whatever they want. There you go. Yeah. Did you know this? Cornrows? They used to, slaves used to use their cornrows for maps to freedom. I did not know that. I didn't know that. Come on. How cool is that? They should be. Pushed at the schools. It's a learning moment. Good morning. Thanks for spending some time with us today. It's Bruce, Judy, and Cheese with you. And we've been keeping an eye on the Middle East, specifically what's going on between Israel and the Palestinians. Um, uh, Horrific scenes you're seeing. Accusations going back and forth. Heck, we've we've talked to um, uh, people representing uh, at least both sides, the Israeli side and the Palestinian side. They offer drastically different uh, 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 ideas of what's happening there, right? As you would would understand. Um, But we still strive, and we're trying to learn more about this and understand more about what is going on. And and someone that can help us maybe add some different perspective to it is Layla Sharif. And Layla is an assistant professor at the University of Illinois. First off, good morning, Ms. Sharif. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So a lot of folks are, are, are paying attention to this for a variety of reasons, okay? They're looking at what's going on between Israel and the Palestinians. And, and you specifically uh, ha- have a background in this. This is part of your studies. This is part of what you teach. Help us understand, maybe putting it this way, what, what don't I know about the Palestinians, and what don't I know about West Bank and Gaza, for example? Okay, so well, that's a that's a big question. It's a broad and, one. I'll uh, give you that. Well, well from an economic standpoint, but, um, 
maybe I can kind of contextualize it with what's been happening uh, uh, recently. But the basic idea is that Palestine, uh, West Bank and Gaza Strip in particular, are under a military occupation um, and have been for a long, long time. And this impacts every aspect of everyday life, such as going to school, going to the market, uh, you know, going to work, uh, where you're allowed to drive, where you're allowed to be, all of those are very heavily controlled and surveilled. So that's mm-hmm. one point. Now, in the context of what's been going on recently in Gaza, so for the listeners who are not familiar with Gaza, Gaza is a Palestinian uh, strip of land uh, that is probably the most dense populated, most densely populated place in the world. It, it borders what is Israel and Egypt, and it, we're talking about the, the size of Detroit in terms of its uh, landmass, mm-hmm. but, it but it's over 2 million people living there. Right. And three things that are important about Gaza. First of all, like I said, it's under military occupation. Second of all, it's extremely densely populated. Um, and then the third thing is that it's been under a siege. So air, land, and sea are completely controlled by Israel. What has happened recently uh, is that Israel has um, launched a series of attacks, um, air missiles in particular, that have uh, murdered over 200 people. 60 of them are children. So that's sort of the latest um, expression of violence that is happening there. This goes, uh, really, this goes back to 19, what? 46? I mean, it's the same, it's the same Mm -hmm. fight, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The only, yeah, absolutely right. The only difference is sometimes we have peace for a few years and sometimes it flares up. And now in this latest conflict, because uh, I know you had said that Israel was, you know, have, has been firing rockets like almost nonstop, it seems. But the fact is the rockets first came from Gaza, right? I mean, how what what set this off? Well, so, it's a big game. A is, it fair, so, is it fair to say, Professor uh, uh, Sharif, it's a big game of, well, he started it. Right. That's what it seems like. Well, that's what it feels like yeah. to me that's from the outside. He, that's how it plays out in public discourse. Okay. It's always a matter of who you know started it, and then this kind of frames a discussion about who's innocent and who's guilty. But fair. you are absolutely right to say that this is something that has happened uh, since 1948 when... 750,000 Palestinians were brutally expelled from their homeland. 523 villages were made, were depopulated and rendered extinct. Um, and most of those people are refugees that actually moved to places like Gaza who are now living in a contained situation. By I say containment, I mean like an open-air prison-like situation. And just a correction that it's not, um, Israel is not firing rockets. They're actually firing air missiles. Um, Gaza is, has been firing uh, rockets that have killed two Israelis, no doubt. But when we look at facts on the ground, we are definitely seeing that there is a disproportionate impact on Palestinian lives. And going back to the year 1948, it's a really important key year because when um, uh, Palestinians, four-fifths of the population were displaced, a lot of them ended up coming to places like Chicago, which has kind of put Chicago on this map. And you've seen, I'm sure, the massive protests. rallies and protests mm-hmm. in support of Palestinians that have come up. Uh, Chicago is a really important city for Palestinians. They are the 
you know, your uh, school teachers, your, 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 your uh, you know, your public service folks um, that have come around, but it's also been a lot of Chicagoans that are in support of Palestinians who are saying, why does my tax money support this bombardment, this mm-hmm. airstrike, these violent attacks on Palestinian lives? But what do they, we, we're not going to go back. We're not, they're not going to get their land back, it seems. It's been since 1948. So what specifically can, can render this, you know, peacefully? Well, the, the problem is not that about people. Uh, it's certainly, there is a right of return that is an international human right that has been denied Palestinians, and that is a question on the table. Um, it is not for certain that these people will not go back. Many of them still have the keys to their homes and are waiting to return to their homes that now ha- house settlers from all over the world. Um, so that is actually a question that really we need to resolve. Otherwise, this is going to be an ongoing displacement. Um, but what's also really important about this is that the situation is an ongoing one. It's an ongoing catastrophe. Uh, so what that means is that what inspired this latest violence in the Gaza Strip, for example, was that Israel was attempting to evict 500 Palestinians from their homes in the contested city of Jerusalem, which is a contested city because Israel claims the west part, as you know, as its capital, and Palestinians um, still have access to East Jerusalem, which has still retained its Palestinian identity. And what that means is that they want to have more and more of the city of Jerusalem. So they're kicking people out of their homes, literally to house new people in their place. So those people are homeless. They're displaced. And this is happening last week. We're not talking about 1948 anymore. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the ongoingness of the struggle that is supported by, unfortunately, our U.S. taxpayer money, in which $3.8 billion goes to Israel when we need that money for ourselves, for our economy. We are in the throes of a brutal pandemic pandemic that has really um, done horrible things to our economy. We need our need in public services. Why is that money going? And that's, again, why you'll see Chicago stand up and rise up against right. these policies that really need some change. Ms. Sharif, thank you for your time today. Layla Sharif, assistant professor uh, at the University of Illinois, uh, with some perspective, and certainly from the Palestinian perspective, I think one of the, one of the problems you run into is that... Depending on how far you want to go back over history, you can make an argument as to the provenance, the claim, the ownership of the land. They still have the keys to their house. I mean, it's. Right. But the. Yes. Those houses, though, were Mm -hmm. taken in a war fought by Jordan, and the Israelis had it. In the 1800s, like, well, how far do you go back? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, how at what can point- there have not been a solution to this problem yet? It's yeah. crazy. Well, I, I, I hope you're not holding your breath for one coming uh, up anytime. I am. Uh, have you uh, listen? If you've been flying lately, you know planes are packed, right? Oh yeah. But are we getting to the point? And some, I did not know this already. Some international airlines already do do this. Are you ready to show uh, your ID? Your boarding pass? Oh, and step on the scale so we can weigh you. Exactly. It could be coming to an airport near you. Coming up next on 890 WLS. It's the Bruce St. James Show right here on 890 WLS.
We've been keeping an eye on the Middle East, specifically what's going on between Israel and the Palestinians. Um, uh, Horrific scenes you're seeing. Accusations going back and forth. Heck, we've we've talked to um, uh, people representing uh, at least both sides, the Israeli side and the Palestinian side. They offer drastically different uh, 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 ideas of what's happening there, right? Yeah, yeah. As you would as you would understand. Um, but we still strive, and we're trying to learn more about this and understand more about what is going on. And, and someone that can help us maybe add some different perspective to it is Layla Sharif. And Layla is an assistant professor at the University of Illinois. First off, good morning, Ms. Sharif. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So a lot of folks are, are, are paying attention to this for a variety of reasons, okay? They're looking at what's going on between Israel and the Palestinians. And, and you specifically uh, ha- have a background in this. This is part of your studies. This is part of what you teach. Help us understand, maybe putting it this way, what, what don't I know about the Palestinians and what don't I know about West Bank and Gaza, for example? Okay, the basic idea is that Palestine, uh, West Bank and Gaza Strip in particular, are under a military occupation um, and have been for a long, long time. And this impacts every aspect of everyday life, such as going to school, going to the market, uh, you know, going to work, uh, where you're allowed to drive, where you're allowed to be. All of those are very heavily controlled and surveilled. So that's Mm -hmm. one point. Now, in the context of what's been going on recently in Gaza, so for the listeners who are not familiar with Gaza, Gaza is a Palestinian uh, strip of land uh, that is probably the most dense populated, most densely populated place in the world. It, it borders what is Israel and Egypt, and it, we're talking about the, the size of Detroit in terms of its uh, landmass, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's over two million people living there. Right. And three things that are important about Gaza. First of all, like I said, it's under military occupation. Second of all, it's extremely densely populated. Um, and then the third thing is that it's been under a siege. So air, land, and sea are completely controlled by Israel. What has happened recently uh, is that Israel has uh, launched a series of attacks, um, air missiles in particular, that have uh, murdered over 200 people, 60 of them are children. So that's sort of the latest um, expression of violence that is happening there. This goes, uh, really, this goes back to 19, what? 40-something? I mean, it's the same, right. it's the same mm-hmm. fight, right? Mm-hmm. It, absolutely, it, the only, yes, absolutely yeah, right. The only difference is sometimes we have peace for a few years and sometimes it flares up. And now in this latest conflict... Because uh, I know you had said that Israel was, you know, have, has been firing rockets like almost nonstop, it seems. But the fact is, the rockets first came from Gaza, right? I mean, how what what set this off? Well, so, it's a big game. A is question. it fair? So, is it fair to say, Professor uh, uh, Sharif, it's a big game of well, he started it, right? That's what it seems like. Well, that's what it feels like yeah. to me that's from the outside. That's how it plays out in public discourse. Okay. It's always a matter of who you know started it, and then this kind of frames the discussion about who's innocent, and who's guilty, but. Fair. You are absolutely right to say that this is something that has happened uh, since 1948 when 
750,000 Palestinians were brutally expelled from their homeland. 523 villages were were depopulated and rendered extinct. Um, And most of those people are refugees that actually moved to places like Gaza who are now living in a contained situation. When I say containment, I mean like an open-air prison-like situation. And just a correction that it's not, um, Israel is not firing rockets. They're actually firing air missiles. Um, Gaza has been firing uh, rockets that have killed two Israelis, no doubt. But when we look at facts on the ground, we are definitely seeing that there is a disproportionate impact on Palestinian lives. And going back to the year 1948, it's a really important key year because when um, uh, Palestinians, four-fifths of the population were displaced, a lot of them ended up coming to places like Chicago, which has kind of put Chicago on this map. And you've seen, I'm sure, the massive protests. rallies and protests mm-hmm. in support of Palestinians that have come up. Uh, Chicago is a really important city for Palestinians. They are the, you know, your uh, school teachers, your, 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 your uh, you know, your public service folks. Um, that have come around, but it's also been a lot of Chicagoans that are in support of Palestinians who are saying, why does my tax money support this bombardment, this Mm -hmm. airstrike, these violent attacks on Palestinian lives? But what do they, we're not going to go back. We're not, they're not going to get their land back, it seems. It's been since 1948. So what specifically can, can render this, you know, peacefully? Well, the the problem is not that about people. Uh, certainly, there is a right of return that is an international human right that has been denied Palestinians, and that is a question on the table. Um, it is not for certain that these people will not go back. Many of them still have the keys to their homes and are waiting to return to their homes that now ha- house settlers from all over the world. Um, so that is actually a question that really we need to resolve. Otherwise, this is going to be an ongoing displacement. Um, but what's also really important about this is that the situation is an ongoing one. It's an ongoing catastrophe. Uh, so what that means is that what inspired this latest violence in the Gaza Strip, for example, was that Israel was attempting to evict 500 Palestinians from their homes in the contested city of Jerusalem, which is a contested city because Israel claims the west part, as you know, as its capital, and Palestinians um, still have access to East Jerusalem, which has still retained its Palestinian identity. And what that means is that they want to have more and more of the city of Jerusalem. So they're kicking people out of their homes, literally to house new people in their place. So those people are homeless. They're displaced. And this is happening last week. We're not talking about 1948 anymore. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the ongoingness of the struggle that is supported by, unfortunately, our U.S. taxpayer money, in which $3.8 billion goes to Israel when we need that money for ourselves, for our economy. We are in the throes of a brutal pandemic that has really um, done horrible things to our economy. We need our need in public services. Why is that money going? And that's, again, why you'll see Chicago stand up and rise up against right. these policies that really need some change. Ms. Sharif, thank you for your time today. Layla Sharif, assistant professor uh, at the University of Illinois, uh, with some perspective, and certainly from the Palestinian perspective, I think one of the one of the problems you run into is that d- depending on how far you want to go back over history, you can make an argument as to the provenance, the claim, the right. ownership of they the land. They still have the like, keys at, to their house. I mean, it's... right? But the b- yes. 
Those houses, though, were mm-hmm. taken in a war fought by Jordan, and right, the Israelis right. had it in the 1800s. Like, well, how far do you go back? Do you see what I'm saying? It's Bruce, Judy, and Cheese. And uh, if you thought flying was uncomfortable already, huh. if the idea of taking your shoes off, being uh, uh, padded down, x-rayed, just to get on an airplane, having your toothpaste confiscated wasn't enough. Are you ready to be either asked your weight or have to step on a scale before right. you get on the plane? That's where I draw the line. That's where I'm gonna That's draw the where line. I draw the you line. can have Absolutely my toothpaste. But you know it's funny though, if they ask me how much I weigh, I have no idea. I don't ever weigh myself. So you can understand that. A plane has a maximum allowable weight. It's a part of a calculation they use. How fast does this plane need to go to take off? Well, how much does it weigh is part of the calculation, right? Okay. So they calculate fuel in pounds, by the way. How many pounds of fuel you have, things like that. So, Which is why they weigh your luggage, right? They That's keep, what I'm assuming. Keep, keep it 50 yeah. pounds because, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to right. manage that. And... One of the things is that the assumptions they have been making regarding the average weight of the passengers are no longer accurate because we're all fatty bumbleatties. Humans, specifically Americans, are bigger than they used to be. How many of you have had someone encroach upon your seat by having parts of their flesh come across the actual armrest? Oh, yeah. Okay, now I'm all for it. Weigh weigh those puppies. So they're saying they may need to start weighing people and or make some changes. Now, I want to say this. I have flown on planes small. I fly a lot. Yeah. I've flown on planes that were small enough that they moved people around inside the plane for weight. Oh, oh my gosh, that's kind of scary. Really? Yeah. Like, if too many people were, so... Yeah, what is the plane listing? Too many on the left side and not on the right side. Too many in the front, not in the back. And and I, I've been on a plane before where they go, okay, uh, uh, usually, like, they're the one-in-ones. Yeah. Uh, you, know, be, you know, like, they're really small plane. Listen, how small? It's a small plane. How small was it? There wasn't a door for the pilot. There was a curtain. Curtain, yeah. And I could see because the curtain kept moving, and I was looking out the front of the plane, and I was like, "This is this is a small plane. Yeah. This is like a this is like a private plane for yeah. God's sakes." I could yell up to the pilot, "Bob, left." You know, I mean, I, he would have heard me. Like if you go to Key West from Miami, you, take you get a on a little, little like a plane. puddle jumper, yeah, puddle jumper, yeah. And so on those planes, they've yeah. had to move people around, and yeah. I've been on them where yeah, they go, I can "We see. need two of you to go to the back, kind of balance this out a little bit, this and the other." But I think it's a, so the idea of putting a scale, <laughs> like, you know, you have to put your bag on it. Okay, now you, Judy, you, you would take a swing at the person behind the thing, right? Nobody's going to want to do that. You know, I just ate. Well, I have my shoes on. Like, you know, you're going to sit there <laughs> and argue with yeah, me. Take my, my shoes well, will already be off. So that's what they're saying. They're saying that they, they're going to ask the airline employees to guesstimate. Now, are these for the big planes, or are you talking about smaller planes? More for smaller planes. I want to say they say 70 passengers or less. Okay. 
is you know where it's more because I look at I I'm very cynical when it comes to this. I look at it as just somewhere down the road. It's going to be a fee. Pay your oh, five pounds. Yeah, five I'm pounds pay over. Pay pound? Yeah. Right. Yes, but and why by the isn't way, it discrimination when you can't sit in your seat? Right. They <laughs> should pay for two seats. I did that. When's when's that not? Why is that my problem? Right. Yeah. They should make them pay for two seats. That's I don't. I, I totally agree. By the way, thirty four percent of American adults are obese. Thirty four percent. They're so, going to make lots of moolah. So I love this. So this sounds like something like that happens at the fair. Guess your weight at the fair, and you win a. Pr- <laughs> this is what it's because here's what they're going to do. So what they're going to do is ask the airlines to ask each passenger his or her weight. Oh come on! You should then add ten pounds. Okay. To account for clothing, your clothing goes. And account, 10 pounds, they they mean, account for lying. Account for your lying. Um. I mean, what does your license say? If an operator believes that the weight volunteered by a passenger is understated, <laughs> the operator should make a reasonable estimate of the passenger's actual weight and then still add 10 pounds. Wow. <laughs> I, it's going to be like at the fair. Yeah. How Step much do you right weigh? What do you think? Crap. No, do you seriously. Think? Do, I get, my... do I get upgraded to first class if, if, I, if you don't guess? No, yeah. yeah. You win something. Well, my, li- my license says, um, I think 115, which is what I weighed in eighth grade. Ouch. Well, why change it? Why I'm change good with that, that number. <laughs> Are airlines going to start weighing you? Yeah, they'll start charging you by the pound. I'm oh, fine yeah. with that. That's, I weigh 136. You know what? Start <laughs> weighing the carry-on luggage because have you seen what people try to carry on? They take a refrigerator. They oh, put my two gosh. pieces of twine around it. They call it a handle, and, yeah. and then they try to stuff it in the overhead bin. Yeah, it's obscene. Yeah, start weighing that. So because flights us. have been so full lately, and any of you who have flown will co-sign on this, they've been a lot stricter on carry-on luggage. Oh, yeah. good. Where they are yeah. making you put it in the little uh, frame, right. see if it fits, you know, this, that, and the other. So they've already, oh, they've already cut down on that. I'm all about the rules. Hey, um, you know, we mentioned the mask mandates. The COVID numbers are down. Those that's positive. Mm-hmm. Let's let's the lowest numbers you're seeing, uh, almost across the board everywhere. Fingers crossed it continues. Because of that, we had the the edict from the Center for Disease Control saying vaccinated people don't need to wear masks. Feel free to travel. Yaddy yaddy yaddy. Now. It's back on private businesses, but there's still some questions. That might be a nice way to put it. And joining us right now is uh, Dr. William Schaffner with the uh, National Foundation for Infectious Diseases. First off, good morning to you, doctor. Good morning, Bruce. Good to be with you. It's good to be with you as well. I'm curious that from your standpoint and from the standpoint of the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases, how do you think we're doing? What stage would you say we are at from a medical standpoint? Well, we're getting better every day, and that's really very comforting. You know, cases of COVID are going down. They're bending down around the country, and every day we're vaccinating more people. I'd like to vaccinate many more people because I would like to keep that curve bending downward such that sometime during this summer, we can all relax more and enter the new normal, as it were. Yeah. The problem, though, is uh, the people who aren't getting vaccinated don't want to get vaccinated, 
and they have many reasons, but um, we, we've lately been hearing a lot of them are they're just concerned. They're concerned about what the vaccine might do down the road. Well, let's try to address all those issues and that one in particular. You know, in the history of vaccines, the adverse effects associated with vaccines show up within two or three months. There are no long-term, two years, five years, ten years later, effects of vaccines. So we just have to try to explain that to people, reassure them, and make them comfortable now in coming in with the rest of us and getting vaccinated. Oh, okay. I, I, I didn't so know that. These are, these are things I'm finding out. I thank goodness we've got uh, Dr. William Shafter with us with the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases. Are we getting a better sense on speaking of the vaccine specifically? Uh, the, how long they last? Will we need to do regular updates, boosters, whatever it might be? And, and what is that time frame? Yeah, I wish we knew that exactly. You know, we're writing this book as we're reading it, as <laughs> yeah. it were. And at the moment, we know we have hard data that the vaccines protect us for six months, but the clock is running, and we'll give updates about how long the vaccine is protecting. So far, it's doing very good. It's moving beyond six months. So we'll determine whether boosters are needed. I suspect they will be at some point, and when. The other thing that will influence whether we need boosters are the variants. If we get some variants that really can evade our vaccine's protection, obviously we'll have to create a new vaccine and incorporate that into the booster. Then it'll be a little bit more like the flu shot. Got it. And, uh, you know, speaking of the those variants, so if people, if we don't hit that sweet spot of people being vaccinated, you know, what, what's the downside to that, you know, going forward, especially if there are these more stringent variants? Yeah, Judy, you know, the more people that are unvaccinated, the more people that will get infected down the road. And every time the virus infects you, it multiplies. Every time it multiplies, it can mutate. And if it can mutate, new variants can crop up. Mm. So unvaccinated people are potential reservoirs for new variants. That's another reason we would like to get them vaccinated, in addition to protecting themselves, of course. He is the medical director at the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases, Dr. William Schaffner. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask kind of a question, and I'm not trying to be a doom, doomsayer or anything. Is there a concern that we with the relaxing of the mask rules, with kind of where we're at moving forward, of becoming India? Is there a chance that we could, the pendulum could swing back? Or have we vaccinated enough people now that we would be relatively insulated from that? Are we over the hump? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I think we are over the hump, but we have to keep pushing it down. We won't turn into India because we have vaccinated so many people. But the unvaccinated people tend to congregate in certain communities. In my own state, it's the more rural you get, the fewer vaccinated. Sure. And this, vac- this virus can continue to be transmitted in those areas, making people sick. So we may have better protected and less protected parts of the country going forward. I would like all of the country to be protected, of course.
Yeah. You know, this issue of fertility has come up a lot from people um, about the vaccine. A concern. And that it affects, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a concern. Can you address that? Absolutely. It's bogus. Mm-hmm. The vaccine cannot affect a woman's or a man's fertility in any way. In fact, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists says that the vaccine should be offered to all women who wish to become pregnant, who are pregnant, or who are nursing. And the reason to give it to pregnant women is if they get infected with COVID, they're more likely to have severe disease. And then there's a bonus. If you protect them, some of their protection goes across the placenta and offers some protection to the newborn before we can vaccinate the baby. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're not ready to vaccinate not there babies yet. yet. Uh, doctor, I guess a question, and maybe this is a broader one when you're talking about infectious diseases. Are there other vaccines that, that uh, pregnant women uh, can have? Is that, is that pretty standard? Are there things they should stay away from? It is very standard today for women who are pregnant during the influenza season to get flu vaccine. Okay. And every pregnant woman gets a vaccine against whooping cough, diphtheria, and tetanus during every pregnancy. Helps protect the woman, but even more importantly, protects the baby because those protections go across the placenta, get into the baby, and you protect that newborn. And when the women learn that, they roll up their sleeves. Right. They're all, they're all for it. Doctor, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate your explanations that even I can understand. <laughs> My great pleasure. Hey, Dr. William Shafter, the uh, medical director of the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases. I love learning something new every day. And I did not know that vaccines, they're, they, we know their effectiveness and any downside only you would after within a few a couple months. months. Yeah. Not after years. Yeah. That the, mm, the idea of yeah, I never knew that. Right. So we don't have any evidence yeah. to suggest getting a vaccine years later, something will happen. Uh, will it change some people's minds? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but this fertility issue has come up before a lot. Even my friends ask me a lot. So it's I, there must be a lot of stuff out there. So he was pretty definitive. Yeah. Absolutely not. Well, when the obstetricians and the gynecologists are saying there's not an issue, I'm right. going to go with. Okay. Yeah. 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 They would know. That's their world, I would say. Rather than right? reading about it on Facebook. I, I thought of this. I, I saw a, a, a headline that working long hours can be deadly. A global study from the people that do studies found that stroke and heart disease due to long work hours kills almost 800,000 people a year around the world. I, I thought of this in the context of my brother, who is a lawyer, not a very good one. Let's get that out of there. <laughs> I wouldn't go to for legal yeah, advice. Yeah. You wouldn't use him. Works for the TSA, for God's sake. Oh, sense. okay. Um, he, was in, he worked in, in a private practice. Like when you get out of law school, you, you might have heard these stories. You go and, and you, you have to be on this, what do they call it, partner track or whatever. And he was working. 60 plus hours a week. Sure. And I remember when he quit. And he quit when my niece was born. And I will give him credit to this. I won't give him credit for much. But I give him credit where he said, 
yes, I could have continued on this thing. And years down the road, maybe I could have, you know, made partner, moved up inside this law firm, you know, prestigious Washington, D.C. law firm. But I probably would have missed my child growing yeah. up. I, I, I would have I would have never been to a soccer game. I would have never been to a swim meet. I would have never made a, a piano recital. And they didn't care at work. Oh, yeah. So he quit and got a job with the government. You know, that when, at 5 o'clock when the whistle blows, everybody runs out the front door. Punch okay? it out, yeah. He worked for the TSA. Five o'clock, we're gone. You oh get, yeah, you know what I'm saying. And well, he, so he took less money, took took less of an opportunity to I- advance his career for quality of life. Not everybody can make that decision, right? I, in the middle of my career, I decided to work part time. It was a hard decision because that working part time for ten years set me back on my career path. But kind of the same thing. I had three young children. They had a lot of needs. My daughter. I was just taking her everywhere, and it. I couldn't fit it in anymore. And it was less about, I mean, of course I wanted to spend, be home with my kids, yeah. but it was a matter of, it was killing me. I was so stressed out. I couldn't, there the wasn't enough, the, thing, the stress, I, there wasn't enough time in the day. And let me tell you, I've had breast cancer. Mm-hmm. I am absolutely convinced because I was on the young side, no breast cancer in my family. No history. My, I, I am convinced that my breast cancer was caused by stress. Really? That was another time in my life, you yeah. know where I was so stressed out, and then, oh, I developed breast cancer. And and they're saying that 55 hours a week or more of work, that this this curve starts to go up, where your chance of stroke, heart disease, some of these other deadly, deadly conditions start to dramatically go up. I would even argue 40 hours a week if you have a stressful job, right? Even Mm. 40 hours of intense stress a week we're gonna be like the french here for god's sakes pretty soon we're gonna work you know 18 what? hours a week yeah we need three months off three Rich, months of vacation you know? yeah, but yeah. what about like the old days your grandpa you yeah. know worked on the farm lived till he was 104 mm-hmm. worked from four no, in the they, morning they till lived, eight at night you they know lived I mean? till about 37 i also think they ate yeah first yeah the average <laughs> yeah. lifespan was 30 they, yeah and that was they old back then. and yeah. they also they ate different <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's right. True. Yeah. Oh my gosh, they, they weren't obese. Probably ate a little differently. Yeah, Didn't have chicken nuggets. Back. Go back and look at all those olden day farmers. They're, none of them are fat. Yeah, that's true. They're always working. Look yeah. at Nick. He's in great shape. Nick is yeah, in fantastic is. shape. Mm-hmm. He's out there working all on all that work. The yeah, I mean, yesterday he made an herb thing that I it would have taken me a, a year wonderful to make. Planter, a yes. planter. Thank you, an herb planter. Yeah. yeah, that's a kind of text. If you, if you, you know, we peel the curtain back here every once in a while, the behind the scenes. The text chain that we had yesterday was about Nick's handyman work around the house, yeah. so we could all learn about this. Wife herb says, but you gotta love it. Something I can Fantastic. plant herbs in, and he yeah. was like, you know, this whole yeah. He's like, oh, all right, give me an hour. I couldn't even <laughs> respond. I was, I was mad. I was so mad. I'm like, I want that planter. You know what my herbs are in? Oversized coffee cups. There you go. Works for me. So I, I for the most part, uh, I, I will admit, I, I don't. I, listen, this is. Do not you have a, hard a job that's job. killing you, Bruce? No. no yeah, I've I'm never here to had say a no. Job that's killing you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think this is a difficult job by any no. stretch of the imagination. We're very you fortunate. Don't yeah. hear me complain about long hours and this that, and the other. It's a different job, but, but I, yeah. I, I can acknowledge that. But that kind of plays into a little bit our friend Yola. Love Yola. Yola. First off, good morning <laughs> to you, Yola. Hi. First of all, Bruce. I have to t- say, you gave me a coronary because Uh-oh. you were there and you were gone. <laughs> and 
and I must have had an appointment or something, <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck is it? Your guest host, oh, hello, Judy Pie. Hello. <laughs> Wonderful, but man, I miss you. Well, you're very kind, Yola. Well, we are. Yola, he's not about to die from his job. Not in any way, shape, or form. But Yola, (laughs) isn't that part of it? If if you love what you do, right? Exactly. I love the corporate world, and I learned a lot. I I I left it to do my art work, and I've never been happier. Nice. I envy you, Yola. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you so much, folks. Bye. Bye, Bye But that's that. Right? If you if you love what you do, if you love your job, you'll never work a day in your life. I I probably screwed that whole thing up. It's somewhere in there, like that. And I think there's a certain amount of that. And I've always kind of said that about radio. That you know, I I like it. I like being on the radio. I like talking on the radio. Like like being around radio. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that it doesn't feel like a job. And yeah, I've we always were, thought we were walking to the Nutella Cafe that day, and we're watching those guys with the jackhammers, literally just digging, on, right over here you know, at the at the at the, uh, uh, the Wrigley Building. Yeah, and there were, and we're like, I can see you working. two guys eating your Nutella cookies, standing there watching them. Guys, <laughs> wow, with, with jackhammers and shovels, yeah. and we're like, and I, yeah, we look at each other, and go, yeah, we don't really work. Uh, I wouldn't call no. what we do work. Yeah. These guys are work. It was outside. Yeah, it, was it was outside. Cold. And yeah. it doesn't, I rain a little, oh they're out there, I go, that guy's working, that's People a worker. People who say, I hate my job, I, it's foreign to me. I'm like, what do you, why do you work there? Yeah, then why do you why do, do it? Because they have to, some have people to, have yeah. to. And I can tell you, I've had jobs, even in this industry, that when it starts to feel like a job, it's time to do something else. Every job I've hated, my parents made me work it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or my family members. Okay. And I'm always reminded whenever we have this discussion about work, uh, the words of wisdom from my dad that says, you know, if you ever think you got it tough in radio, Bruce, the world needs ditch diggers. Yep. <laughs> like, great. I don't know. How hard is that, it? To they do. Hard work is a kid. It is hard yes. to dig a ditch. I want to get that out there, right? I think there's a misconception. And the misconception is people that work in radio, television, or newspaper, magazines, like that were rivals. That we don't like each other. Yeah. Like that if I saw Eric in the morning on the, on the street, we'd tussle. Oh, we're throwing down. Well, maybe Eric. Yeah. Maybe we would. Could I take him? him? Is he bigger oh, than me? You oh, could you take, take Eric. Is he bigger than me? Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't? Okay. But the point being is. I think that's more management, right? They're more. We all kind of get, yeah, get along. We know what it's like we working sh- in this business. In just like you might know in your industry, you kind of have respect for the same right, job other right. people do, right? Well, we have respect for the work that journalists do. And journalists, by the way, in this town, we, we've always shared stories. I mean, not breaking stories, of course, but if you miss a, <laughs> if you missed a news conference, and I mean, I would call our competitor. Can I have that audio? As long as everyone else has the audio, sure, no problem. Yeah. Well, Judy is a throwback, <laughs> and so is Greg Pratt. Hey, Greg, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, and I'm all for you tussling with Eric. So. <laughs> I don't want to tussle with Eric. Age match. He wears very nice sweaters, too. I, I mean, I could take Eric. Um, Greg is a, a columnist for, for the the Tribune, and, and the reason we're talking to you is, it, and it was interesting, because I know Judy made a mention of something the other day. There was an article in the Sun-Times that was positive and uplifting about the need for the Tribune to exist, and not just exist, but exist 
successfully. And, uh, yes, to be a successful paper. And I thought that was a real, uh, uh, a real interesting point. Maybe shows the value of the Tribune. Why are we talking about it? Because you guys are in the midst of potentially another ownership change. Is that a good way to put it? I think that's a good way uh, to put it. You know, what we might call an ownership change, I might call a bunch of vampires draining us, but it's <laughs> it's the same concept. Yeah, so tell us about the potential new owners and their business philosophy. Well, there's a hedge fund, Alden Global Capital, that buys newspapers across the country, usually smaller papers. They've never owned something like the Chicago Tribune, and they they buy them and they cut a bunch of staff and they drain them and they hope people don't notice um, in time for them to keep um, milking the, the paper for everything that it's worth. And there's a vote on Friday from the company shareholders that, you know, do we accept this offer, which from a capitalist view, you know, we, we argue is a lowball offer, but, but just as a general view, it's not a good thing for Chicago. It's not a good thing for the city. Interesting. And, you know, Greg, as you probably know, as I remember, I worked for the Tribune for many, many years. Um, it's not the first time you've been through something like this. Yeah, good point. No, it's interesting. You know, we, we keep going uh, from bad to worse. You know, we started <laughs> with Sam Zell in right. 2008. Then you end up with uh, Peter LaCorey and Tribune Media. And then you end up with uh, Michael Farrow, who is one of the biggest scumbags in Chicago. And then you end up with... <laughs> Uh, and then he sells to Alden, and, and you know whatever Michael Farrow may be, which is kind of a moron and a scumbag, you end up with uh, uh, you end up with Alden Global Capital, which doesn't even pretend to care about journalism. Is is the and is the thing I was going to say, Greg? Is the problem like careful what you wish for? Like it couldn't be worse. Have you met these guys? <laughs> you know, right? There is a feeling of that sometimes that, and it actually cannot get worse than Alden, but. Uh, famous last words, I guess. Yeah. Are there other options? So there's um, there's a guy in Baltimore, a civic leader named Stuart Bainham, who's been trying to get investors to buy all the papers across the country, and he's getting he's almost there, uh, but he has struggled to find someone in Chicago. Then you have um, there's a guy who used to be a sometime CEO who's been calling people, and then so there, there's potentially other buyers, and then there's um. I've been leading a campaign to encourage the biggest non-Alban shareholder, a guy named Dr. Patrick Soonshong, who owns the LA Times. I sent him an open letter. I said, vote no, because he can single-handedly stop the deal. And I said, you know, vote no. You can't, um, you know, you, you just don't do this to us. You, you well, own a newspaper. You understand why it matters. The value. We're, again, we're talking to Greg Pratt, a Tribune columnist. And maybe, you know, I bring it back to why people should care. Make make the pitch. I, I tried to do it a little bit. Hey, listen, we, we read the Trib every morning. We subscribe, by the way. Uh, we get ideas for stories. Yeah. We rely on your journalism to tell stories. We, we think that journalists hold, for example, politicians to account. And God knows we certainly need that in Chicago and Illinois. But why is it important to the average person in Chicago that the Tribune remains a, a strong, viable newspaper? Well, there's, um, let me just very quickly preface it by saying I'm a huge fan of all the other papers and, and radio stations and TV stations in town, but the Tribune is the big dog. The <laughs> Tribune, the, the Tribune, um, keeps everyone informed about just about everything in this town. We have 
the, the food critics. We have the um, architecture coverage. We have the the government coverage. You know, there was a federal indictment recently or a federal filing in the Ed Burke case that I thought was kind of interesting where they said that uh, we actually scared Burke a few years ago because we did a story about illegal lobbying and he got scared off by it. And he, he sort of changed how he was scheming. Everyone from Ed Burke to the Field Museum pays attention to everything we do because we have the most experienced people. We're the place that young and hungry people uh, historically go to. We have that blend and we have, uh, we just have the most resources and commitment to covering everything from beer. We have a beer writer to politics to government. And it's, it's not possible to, for anyone else to replicate it. And if it goes away, it's going to be almost impossible to bring back. Wow. We wish you the best of luck. And, and Greg, again, you're hearing it hopefully loud and clear from us. Yeah, that was uh, a really good pitch. Yeah, loud and clear from us that uh, that uh, a strong, independent uh, uh, business that is the Tribune is important for the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois. Thank you very much. Keep doing great work. Thank you. He's Greg Pratt, columnist for the Tribune, as this this vote is coming up and possibly an ownership change to a group that has traditionally, and I understand what they do, you know, they come in and they yeah. they, they buy it, they strip things down, and then they look to, to make a lot of money off of it. You've, you've heard about this in other industries, but mm-hmm. when it comes to something that is in the public trust almost, when it comes to journalism, that becomes really difficult. Yeah, I, I, that becomes absolutely. a little bit of a different thing. It's it's a little different than stripping down the warehouse. You yeah. know, it's a it's a different different animal. You know, the the world of art is an entire world unto itself, and and one that I admit I don't have nearly the appreciation maybe I should have for it, and I get confused by it. All right, yeah. it's kind of one of those. I like what I like, and I can't explain to you why necessarily, <laughs> but I can tell you something I do like especially when it comes to modern art, is the work of Banksy. If you're unfamiliar with Banksy, um, how would you describe it? Um, Subversive? Satirical? In your face? And Banksy is a... I don't think we officially know who Banksy is. Still an unknown... We we don't officially... there's, There's speculation. But that... The work shows up in public, walls, streets, bridges, usually takes him to take credit for it later on, right? After it's created the stir that it was meant to. Do you remember the, the, the Banksy piece they auctioned off in the frame? And then as soon as the auction was finished, the frame began shredding. It shredded itself. <laughs> yeah. That's Banksy. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Remember that? Yeah. As soon as they banged the gavel and somebody paid whatever, it went, and it became a paper shredder, and it just shredded the work of Crazy. art through there. And I'm like, yeah, that's art, brilliant. I, that's yeah. brilliant. I would describe it as very cool. His art is Absolutely. so cool. Well, somebody who's also cool, calling us from London, is Michael Borsma. How did I do on your last uh, Michelle, I apologize. Borsma. How did I do on the last name? Bruce, you were... Hold on. You, you could be Dutch. I was going to say, ah, I told you it was Dutch. He did say you were I Dutch, I said, yeah. if it ends in an, in an SMA, I'm going, that's Dutch, okay? Yep. <laughs> so the art of Banksy is coming yes. to Chicago, and you're bringing it. Tell us about this exhibition. 
Well, I'm, uh, I'm producer of uh, The Art of Banksy, and I'm currently in London where we're opening uh, the day after tomorrow with, uh, with the London, uh, London collection. And we're bringing a completely new big collection to Chicago. And I'm, I'm very proud of it because um, uh, we work with collectors who uh, own these pieces, but they, instead of having them on their wall, uh, they want to show them to a wider audience, yeah. and that, and that, and that. Like at this moment, this morning, we got a new piece offered, which uh, will go to uh, to Chicago, uh, which was unique, and it's going to be it's going to be uh, uh, amazing for the audience to see. But it, well, unique it, is an understatement when it comes to Banksy. Is that a fair way to put it in the world of art? Well, the world of Banksy is unique. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, there's always something happening uh, uh, unsuspected, even even when we do it. Um, the 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 art of Banksy. What I like with 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 Banksy's works is it it's it's appreciated by young and old. And whether you're an art lover or someone who never ever goes to a museum, we've done the exhibition in Sydney, Melbourne, Toronto, uh, Tel Aviv, Auckland, and. Um, Everywhere where you go, the mix of the people who want to see this work finally for real, instead yeah. of on television yeah. or on a newspaper, uh, is, is all over the place. And I really like, uh, and the collectors also like, that we get an audience in that largely doesn't go to museums. And mm-hmm. we hope we inspire them, and then next time they'll go to another art collection. And that's the nice thing of Banksy. He's appreciated all across the board. And you know, you've probably just described me. And I, this is, this is an exhibition I would like oh, to I'm go going. to. Oh, right? I'm and I don't normally, but I'm, I, I hope I don't sound dumb here. No. I'm a little bit confused because I know he's a street artist, right? He's, he's yeah. done this on buildings and whatever. Yeah. So, and so what are we looking at when we go see the exhibition? Are these photos of what he's done? No. no, no, no actual. No, uh, one of the, yeah. One of, one of the things that, uh, that people don't, are not really widely aware of is that to, to make the street art and to fund his, free street art exhibitions, um, he sells to collectors and he makes art. He makes prints, he makes, he makes paintings, he makes statues, and he sells them. And that's what we've got on display. We don't have walls. We, don't, we haven't ripped anything off the street, which should be, which should be there for everybody to see. We are showing the art that is either on a wall with a collector or even in the worst case, and I really don't like that, in a group of investors mm. who, who, who invest in the art purely as a commodity. And then we take a lot of time into prying it out of their sweaty hands mm-hmm. and, and getting it onto the wall in Chicago. Um, the, Michel, the, the, Michel is, it, is it fair to say then that a lot of this artwork, the art of Banksy, again, coming to Chicago, is things that we wouldn't have seen before because they weren't these big public pieces? It's a mix. There's, there's images, uh, some of the images you know, like the girl with the red balloon, yes. root copper, uh, a flower thrower. But what we show is the, is the, it's the breadth of his work. So um, we're still finishing off the, the, the Chicago collection, but at the moment in London, we've been able to bring together around 95 pieces. Uh, and the, the Chicago presenters keep phoning me every day. We're like, what's the list? What's the list? And I'm like, patience, patience. We're still cooking. We're still getting the thing together. But so there's a lot of images that you may have seen on, like on the news or in the, in the newspaper, but then a lot of work that 
people don't even realize it's his or realize that he does it. Like he bought uh, uh, at, at flea markets, he bought uh, uh, paintings, uh, fake paintings by, by other by famous artists, and he made it his own. Uh, right. There's pieces of that. Uh, there's uh, we've we've got ephemera uh, uh, sketches. Uh, Gifts he's given to staff of his exhibitions. There are all these wonderful little works there. Um, there's a lot of stories around. There's, there's works that you only can get when you travel to a certain spot and you've got collectors who actually do that. Yeah. And what I really like is a lot of the collectors we work with are not the collectors who went on the Banksy bandwagon. They are the first time, they are the collectors who bought it when Banksy wasn't known like we know him now. He was, he, mm. they liked the image and they bought for 25 pounds a, uh, a, a, a print, oh, wow. which oh, is now, which is now 25,000 pounds right. plus plus. Uh, but they bought it because they liked the image. And that's also the story we are, we're showing in the exhibition that beside, uh, the worth and the value of, of, of his, his work, because that's the thing that you most of the time see. There's a new Banksy on a, on a building, and that building is only a million more worth. That's not what it's about. It's mm-hmm. about the image, the art, and what I'm not telling anybody what they need to think about his art or how to interpret it, but there's one thing I hope is that people get inspired and, 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 and have, a, have, a, have a smile, because this is, this is, this is serious art, but it entertains you. Yeah. Michel, thank you so much for, for your time and for getting us excited about it. The art of Banksy. Uh, uh, uh Michel Burzma, uh, live in London as they get ready to open there. Uh, only going to be in Chicago and San Francisco here in the United States. So, you yeah. know, y- you got to get in on this. Uh, and, uh, well, that's going to be a hot ticket. Yeah. yeah. Well, cause you've got to think about Banksy. Fans uh, all over the country, all over the world, needing needing to get here uh, to see that. So that is going to be opening uh, July first, July first, yes, yes. and uh, you can get your tickets uh, BanksyExhibit dot com. I'm already there, Michelle. Hi. I'm already looking. All right, good to see you there, Bruce. Outstanding, <laughs> sir. You have a wonderful day and enjoy London. Hey, thank you. Bye. All right. Yeah, you know, it really is. It's so unique and and. I would I would agree with them. Banksy's art. Here's a great quote from Banksy: "Art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable." Mm. And I think his art does that. Yeah, and it's it is it's almost indescribable. Some of the pieces you just yeah. you gotta have to see it. Yeah, right. I hope there's a Banksy like that pops up around the city when it's I know. I was gonna say, is there any so Banksy? Wait, there, there used to be some. Saying? Are there none anymore? I can go look at. Not around. They've no, all I been think he over popped or? up in New York a few times and did a few, and then people immediately tore whatever it was down, like it was on a door. They like ah, uh, well, because I know he did some in Chicago. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a bummer. But I love every piece I've seen so far. I'm yeah, it's very it's, cool. Oh my gosh, I gotta go see this. Again, BanksyExhibit.com. You want to learn more about that? The Art of Banksy coming to Chicago in July. Violence has certainly been on the rise. Crime in general has been on the rise. Not just in Chicago. I know, I know it's a popular thing to beat up on Chicago or beat up on the South Side or the West Side. It's up in Dallas. <laughs> you know, it's up in San Francisco. Yeah, it's, it's, it's up everywhere. It's up everywhere. There, there's something afoot. And one of the things we hear about traditionally is as we head into the summer months things get worse more people are outside they're out and about more 
congregating, whatever it might be, does that lead to more crime? Joining us right now is our law enforcement expert, Dr. Alex Del Carmen. Dr. Del Carmen, is it is it statistically proven that the summer months are higher crime months? Good morning, and thanks for having me this morning. Well, we, we actually call it a correlation, right? There's a relationship between the summer and violence. And typically, you know, in a regular summer, pre-pandemic, we would see a slight increase in crime in some areas and a dramatic increase in others because people tend to go out, they tend to drink, they tend to go to the lake, they tend to do things that mm-hmm. they don't do during the winter months. But that, what we are fearful for what's going to come up this summer after the pandemic uh, and after the past 18 months. And is that because people are have been pent up? So you're mm-hmm. fearful it's going to be worse? Yeah, there are multiple factors, right? One of them is the fact that they have been, you know, in many ways isolated for the past 18 months or so. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have lost uh, their loved ones. In addition to that, we are seeing tendencies across the nation that people have less patience, that people are they're coming out uh, to work or re-engage in society again. They're angry. And so when you combine all of those things and you, you add the factor of the summer, uh, we're likely going to see an increase in crime, uh, perhaps at historical levels. We just don't know yet. Wow. Well, I mean, that's a that's a major concern for a lot of people. You know, I saw something else. I thought this was interesting in, in one of the articles I was reading about this, that there has been a surge in legal gun sales. Will that deter or will that increase violent crime yeah so it has a tendency to do both right and one of the things that we saw during the pandemic is that people were fearful for their lives they were fearful that they were going to run out of you know certain things at home and so as a result of that what people tend to do and we saw this post 9-11 as well is they tend to buy guns they tend to seek protection you know establish or install alarms uh in systems in their homes and various other things and so what, what we see is when, when you make those guns available to law-abiding citizens, it can be a good thing. But when you make those, laws, uh, those guns available to criminals, then obviously you have the contrast of the increasing potential of crime. And then also, of course, added to that mental illness, which means that we're going to see a higher rate of suicides in the summer. Uh, it is really concerning to us criminologists, and we've been studying this for a long time. Wow. And so do you know that when legal gun sales go up, you can just assume that so do illegal sales? Not necessarily because we can't track illegal sales, right? And so part of the problem is we know that that they're out there. uh, But but we have concerns about the legal gun sales. I mean, look, I'm in Texas and I'm all about the Second Amendment. But at the end of the day, what concerns us is the fact that once you have put a gun, a legal uh, purchase of a gun on the hands of somebody that does not know how to use it, uh, we are going to go into accidental discharges. We're going to have all, all other issues that relate to the to, to violence that may not necessarily be, you know, uh, self-created or self-initiated. Uh, right. Well, and you had mentioned yeah. earlier, which I didn't think about. People are angry. They've lost loved ones. They've lost their job. And now you put heightened a gun in. Yes, heightened. Yeah. And now you put a gun into the mix, even though if it's legally owned and it's kind of spelled, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and I, and I hate to say this, right, but then you add to that politics, right? So we are a divided nation. We are polarized in many ways in the way we see things as mundane as the, you know, as, as the right to vote and various other components. Everything has come into question in the past 18 months. And so so when you, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a historian to figure out that in the course of history, not only in our nation, 
but other countries throughout the world. When that happens and you put guns in the hands of individuals, you will have a rise of violence. And I'm afraid that that's going to happen. It's a concern, and, and I mean, is there, you know, I, I, I try to find the silver lining. I'm, I'm like, okay, so what can I do about this? And I, I feel like, you know, you can only be so vigilant. You can only avoid so many areas. You know, here in Chicago, we've had uh, a rash of carjackings. We've had a rash of shootings in places that aren't yeah. the bad part of town. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? It, it, it ain't the rough areas that, quote, unquote, we're all supposed to avoid or lock your doors when you drive through. It seems like the violence or the crime can be anywhere. As I often tell people, you know, um, as a criminologist of 24 years, and having worked with thousands of police agencies across the United States, I often tell them there isn't such a thing as a quote-unquote good area mm. or bad area of town. Just like, you know, because at the end of the day, you may have certain expect expectations as to the, the rise of violence in certain areas, but no area is immune in our country and throughout the world, especially when you mix in the bag all of these factors that we've been talking about this morning. Really appreciate your time today, Dr. Del Carmen. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. He's our law enforcement expert, Dr. Alex Del Carmen, as well, law enforcement agencies, including Chicago PD, bracing for maybe a long, hot summer. And we're not talking about the weather alone, right? Yeah. I, I, um, I try, in the most part, to be fair, especially on subjects or topics where I don't consider myself an expert in any way, shape, or form. Israel is one of those. Middle East is one of those places. And I, I think I'm more informed than most. But it's really hard to look at what's going on today and try to get to the bottom of it. Because what I found, and we've talked to a variety of different people over the last week about the violence, about the airstrikes, the rocket attacks, the back and forth and back yeah. and forth. And everybody... It seems like everybody we talk to and every article I read and every talking head expert I see points to some event that is the root of the issue. The problem is I've seen these root of the issue events go back to the 18 flipping hundreds. And you can make an argument. They're still fighting over things that happened in the 1800s. Right. And every and there are everyone has a side, right? There's no middle ground. That's the problem when you talk mm. about Mideast peace. There's there's just never any middle ground. It's one side or the other, and they are passionate well, about. But their could side. you make this argument? And this is where I try to find the moral equivalencies, and they're difficult to find in this. Could you make the argument that Israel is surrounded by people, many of whom? Publicly state their governments, their dictator, their military, their elected officials. Publicly state that they want to wipe Israel off the map. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's Hamas's what's the, stance. What's the mm -hmm. negotiating point? Do you, see, you say, like, there's no agreement on it. How do you agree with somebody when you sit down and say, come in the negotiating, all right, everybody around the room, pour yourself a water, we got some M&Ms in the Okay, so let's start. What do we agree on? We want to wipe you off the face of the earth. Great. So, yeah, that doesn't give us a lot to start with. Yeah, like, not, where do you go not, from not a there? a good jumping off point. Where do you go from there? Um, the latest issues, and, and again, I've, I, I'm trying to understand. Well, this is about settlements. 
Well, this is about evicting people. It well, seems to be mostly about land. Yeah. Land. Okay, Whose fair. land is it, right? It's, if, if you want to be very technical about it. I mean, we can say it's a cultural thing. We can say, like you said, Hamas saying they want to wipe um, Israel off the map. I mean, Israel saying this is our land. It, it, you know, we have settlers who want it. They have deeds to Literally. it. Literally, Literally deeds, I, I, yeah. I saw an entire article about it, basically the courts in Israel now, trying to determine who owns the land and that some people have property deeds. That, and I'm not exaggerating. Go back to the 1800s. But then, you know, the Palestinians would argue that, well, you've got Israeli courts making the decision. And Fair enough. They have keys to homes that they were in since the 1950s. You know that's a problem too. I mean, it's you got both sides have arguments to be made. Nobody seems to have a solution mm. ever. Well, I feel like we're stuck in the middle, and, and I, I really do. I feel like everybody in this room here can look at this, or is trying to look at it objectively. I'm not necessarily taking sides. I, I would say that I think it makes Israel look bad. Maybe they don't care. By the way, Israel, if you're listening. Um, that their responses are disproportionate. Mm-hmm. Very heavy-handed. That when when you have two Israelis who are killed, tragedy, no argument, and you kill 160 Palestinians, it looks bad. 61 <laughs> of them who are But children. you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. it, it appears to be a disproportionate response. And but that's that, what happens when you have someone who says... I want to get you off the map. I mean, that's what happens. Well, you know, and it strikes me that the Palestinians aren't very, if they could kill more Israelis, they would. They're just not good at it. Is that a nice way to put it? They're not efficient. Their rockets aren't precision. They just lob them off and they land in the middle of nowhere sometimes. Yeah. Israel's just really good at it. You know what I'm saying? Like, Israel's just more efficient at targeting a building or uh, stopping uh, their rockets yeah israel stops most of them they've fired so many that rockets it's, I, yeah, I've, yeah i lost track so but when hamas decides to fire a rocket they have to know their people are going to die their people are they fire they, one and rocket they don't care. a lot of their people I, and they don't i, I, I don't want to put words in their mouth but i don't know what else to think yeah how well, do you fire a rocket do you think that? israel will respond they know right. exactly how Exa- they know exactly what's going to happen next and you it's know? happening now and i think there's something to be said for we tick off the palestinians now they ticked off the israelis there's something to be said for the fact that uh hamas specifically puts some of its weaponry in and around civilian populations. So when Israel does respond, which they know they will, there is civilian casualties, which makes Israel look bad and makes Palestinians look sympathetic on a world stage. Where do you go from here? It's one of the reasons why I need to have my faith in humanity restored. Judy says she can do it for us right now. Let me please. Some kids dream of running away to join the circus, while the Ringling Brothers' elephants, which had been performing every night, might have been dreaming about running away to a sanctuary. Well, 35 Asian elephants formerly under the care of the Ringling Brothers in Barnum and Bailey Circus are being welcomed to a 2,500-acre Florida reserve where they can wander among their favorite habitats, wetlands, grasslands, or forests, and splash about in 11 different waterholes. Now, it'll become (laughs) the largest herd of Asian elephants in the Western Hemisphere. And because they've been raised in captivity, they're not equipped to survive in the wild, so they do need to go to a place like this. So for the elephants, waking up every morning in retirement is a dream that we can all get behind, right? 
They are big, but they're so cute. <laughs> Very happy cute. elephants. Happy elephants. I don't want to be around mad ones. Yeah, I'll tell no you kidding. that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Judy and I appreciate you spending time with us today. We also appreciate the work that MG and the posse do over there in Mission Control, pressing all the buttons. Our infant producer, Miranda, on the other side of the double-pane bulletproof glass. Ah, DJ Cheese, working the ones and twos. Thank you, sir. Um, and Nick Gale, who's going to stick around. He continues to have all the news, the traffic, the weather, the information that you need to know to get through your Tuesday. Don't worry, he's delivering it for you. Coming up next on 890 WLS.